Praise the Lord and welcome to St. Paul Baptist Church, where we are convincing the unconvinced to be convinced and make disciples as we connect, lift, and inspire you. I'm Reverend Kelly Baptist, and we are so excited to have you connect with us in our Power Pack TNT study experience. You can engage with our Digi Ministers via the chat space in each of our online worship platforms. Let's study and grow together as Dr. Robert Scott, our pastor, takes us deeper into the Word. And be sure to stay tuned after study for more information on what's happening with St. Paul. Today, there is uh, before us a Bible study that may be rather controversial, rather controversial in the sense that um, it is talking about something that has been outlawed for at least almost 200 years, even though it's practiced in parts of the um, world today. So in that vein, uh, I am excited to uh, have this conversation and we're going to be looking at Philippians, not Philippians, uh, Ephesians chapter six, verses five through nine. And what I want to really do is, is take my time as far as this, this time of study is concerned and um, really break this down in such a way that we can uh, get the real meaning and then translate it into today's culture. One of the things about Bible study that we have to understand is how do we take what was written um, back uh, nearly probably 3,000 years ago all the way up until nearly 2,000 years ago, read it for what it's meant to be as far as those writings are concerned, and then translate it and transfer it into today's culture and into today's time. I said this as a premise by virtue of the fact that the subject that I want to talk about is slaves and masters. I know that for those that may be watching, this is a red flag that is going up, but I really want to dig into this particular text because if you're going to deal with the Bible, you got to deal with some text of the Bible that can be very controversial and you may not like to deal with. The unfortunate reality is this particular passage of scripture that I'm getting ready to share with you was used by the slave masters here in America to justify the most heinous form of human slavery in the history of the world. And because of that, there are many older people, probably quite a few younger people that don't like to read this passage when it comes to the Bible. However, it's in the Bible, it is part of the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. But what I want to do is I want to talk about what Paul was dealing with back then. How do we translate this into today's culture and time? because I want you to understand that, that slavery, for the most part, has been outlawed as far as our world is concerned. Now, unfortunately, there are certain pockets of the world 
that still practice human bondage. And that's rather unfortunate. And I believe that we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are called to do whatever we can to stand up and to fight against that type of oppression. However, what I want to do is, as we have this conversation, really deal with what the text is about. And then from that, help us to understand how do we appropriate this text into today's culture and society. It will not be from the slave master, slave or bond servant mentality. So as we prepare this study, let's go to the word of God. <clears throat> and I want you to highlight some words as far as this text is concerned. <clears throat> bond servants, be obedient, to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. Now, <clears throat> I, I really want to deal with what Paul is dealing with as far as this particular text is concerned, and then I want to translate it into today's culture. So, several times, uh, several weeks earlier, we dealt with two other groups. We dealt with the relationship between wives and husbands. We dealt with the relationship between children and parents. Now we're dealing with the relationship between slave and master. Now, unfortunately, slavery did exist in Paul's day. Paul was not trying to undo it. And this is why a whole lot of black people don't like to read this portion of Ephesians chapter six, verses five through nine. And unfortunately, there were Christian slaves and there were Christian masters. Now, I know that sounds oxymoronic, but it happened to be the case during that time or Paul would not have been writing them. So this is what we see. We see that Paul is telling the slave that you are to listen and obey your master, respect your master and render to your master as if you were doing service unto God. Uh, uh, with the inner motivation of you not trying to please your master, but trying to please the Lord, okay? Um, and Paul is saying that when you do that, the Lord will reward you, be you slave or free. Now, here's the problem with this text. Problem with this text is that unfortunately, the slave owners, here in America, only read verses five through eight. 
Okay, let me say that again. They only read verses five through eight. As a matter of fact, during the, the, the time before, before the Civil War, before our ancestors were free, they had what was called the Slave Bible. And this passage, along with uh, several others, were highlighted and read to the slave to make them docile and compliant as far as the master is concerned. So basically, you had white folks who were misinterpreting and misapplying the biblical text because this is where they missed the misapplication. Even though Paul is writing them saying, slaves be obedient to your master, notice what Paul said in verse nine, and this isn't read. And you master do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. So Paul is saying, masters, you got to treat your slaves the same way. You got to please the Lord in your dealings with them. You can't be threatening them and beating them. And slave owners were not to threaten them, but to treat them justly and fairly. Because the slave master also had a master who is Jesus Christ. This can only happen when a person is controlled by the spirit. Now. All of this goes to say that in applying this particular text, as far as slavery was concerned, was a gross misrepresentation and a gross uh, misinterpretation of this biblical text that white people during the antebellum times would use to justify slavery as far as our ancestors were concerned. So let's start the work as far as that's concerned. All right. Now, I'm going to be upfront and I'm going to be, I'm going to give you my what is called hermeneutic of suspicion. What's meant by that? That for those of us who come to the biblical text, there is always an interpretation that we bring to the text that is suspicious. In other words, we try to figure out what is our bias or who have used this text to justify the mistreatment of somebody else. Okay, hermeneutic of suspicion. Very rarely in today's culture, you're going to hear somebody preach from Ephesians chapter six, verse five through nine. And, and if you hear them do this message, what they tend to do is they tend to take out the slave and slave master reference and they tend to recapitulate it or recapture it within the context of an employer-employee relation. Okay, that's, that's how some people try to, to phrase it or try to couch it into today's culture, all right? So um, I, I, can, I can get with that uh, as far as today's cultural analysis and assignment is concerned, but I can't overlook that you got to deal with this matter called slavery. And so I wanna dig deeper because what I just gave you before 
was the surface stuff. Now I want to go beneath the surface and uh, let's get a better understanding of this. And the emphasis for tonight's sharing is gonna be on verse nine, okay? All right, Paul says, servants be obedient to those who are your masters. The Greek word for bond servant here is slave. All right, and, and this is one of the most challenging topics that Paul addresses as far as scripture is concerned. And God knows this very sensitive, even in 2020, because we know that unfortunately, uh, slavery is one of the original sins of the United States of America. Uh, the enslavement of the African uh, here in this country that started out in 1619 with indenture servitude and that has been translated into the most horrific form of chattel slavery known to humanity uh, has used this passage. We can't, we can't deny that slavery exists and we can't deny that slavery in its very practicum is evil. Okay. All right. Contrary to Mr. Lou Giglio uh, concept when he tried to say that there were white blessings that came out of slavery, no. There was nothing good about slavery, especially when it came to the aspect of the Africans' enslavement here in America. So here's one of the things you got to understand when you study the Word of God. You got to look at the historical aspect of what was going on at that time, all right? So unfortunately, you have a whole lot of folks, including members, of the church at Ephesus that were slaves in the Roman Empire, all right? Now, understand that they didn't have civil rights, understand they were considered property, and understand that this letter was written long before America had been discovered and slave ships started selling from Africa, all right? I don't want anyone reading this book uh, to, 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 to endorse slavery, right? Uh, I, I don't want, I don't believe anyone who hears my voice is endorsing slavery, right? However, it is interesting that you don't read about the condemned transgression of slavery in the Bible. It's interesting that the Bible does not come out and condemn slavery. But neither does the Bible formally approve slavery. Now, while the Bible does not explicitly condemn slavery, it speaks volumes about loving one another and treating people right. The Bible does not tell us not to abuse our spouses and not to molest our children. But we know other principles and precepts of scripture helps us to understand that those things are wrong. Now, what we do see in the Bible is God's objection to the system of slavery, particularly that was instituted by the pharaohs in Egypt. So, so God did not send Moses down to Egypt to lead the children from Israel to Canaan. 
He sent Moses to deliver Israel from their cruel taskmasters. Let me say that again. He didn't send Moses to take the children to the promised land. He sent Moses to deliver Israel from their slave masters. All right. So we see just in that act alone how God really ain't fond of slavery. All right. Now, I have to believe and I have to understand that God really wants us to deal with this evil system because in every generation, you always had somebody that was going to rise up and preach against slavery. So somewhere within the psyche of somebody's humanity, there was this abolitionist movement. God knew that one day people would receive truth and change the system throughout the world. God always had somebody that was going to rise up and like Moses, that great liberator, went down to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. We've seen this in American history through persons like Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, Dick Mark Bessie, Nat Turner, okay? People that had that abolitionist spirit that rose up and said, listen, we're not gonna take this anymore, all right? So what I want to do is I wanna talk about the clever teaching of former slave owners as it relates to the scripture. Because centuries later, after slavery was institutionalized in America, the slave owners did not want the African educated. So they would teach portions of the Bible to make them think that they were spiritually obligated to obey. Now watch this. They would teach Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, but they wouldn't say anything about Ephesians 9. I want you to catch that. They would teach Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8, but they would leave out Ephesians 9. That's just like some men when they talk about the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church and that the wife ought to submit to the husband from Ephesians chapter five, verse 21, they failed to read Ephesians chapter five, verse 20. Are you feeling me? So, so they wouldn't give you the whole truth. They would give you some truth. Now, that's a ploy of the devil. The devil knows scripture. I want you to understand, the enemy knows scripture. And, and, and as a matter of fact, the enemy <clears throat> knows scripture better than a whole lot of church folks, which is how the enemy knows how to manipulate scripture to fit his evil scheme. And I would dare say that slavery is a scheme of the devil, okay? Slavery is a scheme of the devil. Let me say that one more time. Slavery is a scheme of the devil. God knows I'm glad that 
Laws have finally changed and that institutional slavery has been abolished in many parts of the world, uh, particularly here in the United States. Uh, when Abraham Lincoln uh, issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, it did not reach some of our ancestors in Texas until 1865 that they had been freed. That's why many uh, people, particularly those that are in Texas, celebrate what is called Juneteenth because on June the 19th, 1865, they got word from Colonel Grant, from uh, General Granger that they had been freed two years later. All right, a little history lesson there. So, unfortunately, you have some people who have such a racist mentality that they deal with the mindset that some people are not equal to them. We know racism still exists. We talked about this last night in Kaya. And if you did not get an opportunity to see Kaya, please go to our Facebook page and check out that conversation as far as black ability, white fragility, conversations about race 2020. All right. There are hate groups that continue to poison the mind and programs, the mind of people uh, in America, in the United States. We still are debating the Confederate flag. Uh, you got men and women who want to fight over the Confederate flag, not realizing that the Confederate flag is really a sign of treason against the United States. There is nothing um, as far as a positive heritage that is concerned, as far as that flag is concerned. In Germany, they have outlawed the swastika, the Nazi flag. And so when black people see the Confederate flag, that is very similar to those in Germany, as well as our Jewish brothers and sisters looking at the swastika. That's what the Confederate flag means to us. All right. Now, let's deal with an understanding of how we can take this scripture and apply it in a positive way into today's culture and into today's time. In other words, I want to give you a new hermeneutic. I want to shift from slavery and talk about employer-employee relationship. Okay, I want to shift from slavery and talk about employer-employee relationship. This is what Dr. James Harris, uh, professor of uh, preaching at Virginia Union, uh, uh, the Seminary Whit Proctor School of Theology, we talk about how you have to read the text, unread the text, and reread the text. So this is me rereading the text from a different perspective. That perspective is that when you look at an employer-employee relationship, a person that is employed ought to follow the laws of the employer. Okay? The boss, the employer, is to be obeyed. The boss, the employer, has rules and instructions and protocols that should be followed by the employer, employee. All right. Now I'm talking about dealing in the natural realm, 
not the spiritual. All right. So when you work for someone, when you work for someone, even though you may be receiving a wage from that person, uh, it is incumbent upon you to do what that person asks you to do as long as it is right and fair. All right. The Christian employee is to work with fear and trembling, not the fear of a human being, but the fear of God in your heart. Uh, you're on the job for Jesus. And so your work ethic as being a Christian should be above reproach. In other words, if you're gonna be an employee, you should be the best employee that you can be because you're representing God, all right? It also means that you should be a focused worker, all right? That whatever you're doing as far as your job is concerned should not be done without pretense or hypocrisy. You, you should do a good job all the time. And as a Christian employee, uh, we should be embracing excellence. We should do everything on our job as if we're doing it unto the Lord, all right? So, so this deals with each worker doing his or her part to make sure that a desired goal or a desired purpose is reached, all right? In other words, this is not the time for you as an employee spending your time shopping on the internet and posting on Facebook and Instagram and social media. This is not time for you to come in late, leave early. Uh, this is not time for you to be stealing from your employee, employer. Uh, this is not time for you to be lollygagging, all right? In other words, you shouldn't be lazy, all right? You shouldn't be lounging on the job, all right? Because God is watching what you're doing as far as your work is concerned, all right? Compensation that you receive should be based upon the work that you have done. Why is that? Because God is looking at your performance. You and I are servants of Jesus who are doing the will of the Father from the heart. So it doesn't matter whether your work is secular or sacred, God has his eyes on us. We are working as a Christian on the job, even though we're working for someone, ultimately we're working for the Lord because God is our ultimate manager. Now watch this. Every last one of us who've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're in ministry. It doesn't matter whether you are a dispatcher or emergency services or a deacon at the church. It doesn't matter whether you are a plumber or a preacher of the gospel. It does not matter whether you are an engineer or an evangelist. It does not matter if you are a police officer or a pastor. It does not matter if you are a mechanic or a missionary, you are to focus on doing the will of God. 
All of these vocations are in God's will. And all of these vocations should be done from the heart. So there ought to be a particular loyalty as an employee. Okay. The primary goal is not to just perform well for promotion or pay raise. You are performing well because you're doing a service unto the Lord. All right. And you're doing a service unto the Lord because when you're loyal on your job and you're doing what's right, Paul says that when you do good, as far as your occupation is concerned, that basically you're going to get something from the Lord. All right. There is a future wage of the Christian employee. So God has no respect of persons. You're going to reap based on what you have sown. By the way, you may not get everything you deserve on this side for working hard, but trust me, God has a blessing for you as far as your future is concerned. Now, this is what I really want to drill down on as far as verse 9. Because those same code of conduct that is given to the employee is the same code of conduct that's given to the employer. So the employer, the manager, the supervisor is to do the same thing that's required of the employee. Because remember, the Holy Ghost informs the supervisor of her or his obligations and responsibility. There are rules for the supervisor to follow. All right? You want a fair day, day's uh, uh, pay? You got to do a fair day's work. Now, the most wonderful thing is when you got an employer who believes in God and who tries to follow the word of God. All right? Let me say that again. It's good when you have an employer or a supervisor who believes in God and who tries to follow the word of God. All right? Now, let's dig a little bit deeper and let's drill down a little bit further. Because Paul basically said in Ephesians 6, 9, and you masters, let's replace the word master with employer. And you employer do the same thing, giving up threatening knowing that your master is also in heaven. In a real sense, this is dealing with the employee being bullied or harassed by their supervisor, okay? Love, not fear, love, not force, love, not bully is the best way to encourage people to work. When the supervisor believes, he will not seek to burden the employer but try to work with them to a certain point. And when employees know that they are valued and appreciated, they tend to bring their A game to the table. All right? Employers should not be malicious in their supervision. They should not be mean and honoring. All right? Now, let me, if I could, comment on... 
how some people try to take advantage of this moment. Because unfortunately, there are some employees who would try to take advantage of their employer as far as this is concerned. All right. And what Paul wants us to understand is that Paul is informing us when he talks about giving up threatening. Paul is saying, I'm not telling you as an employer not to put in check those employees who get out of line. All right. That's not what Paul is talking about. Just as God disciplined God's children as needed, there are times when the employee got to do the same thing for the employee. The, the employer got to do the same thing for the employee. So if the job performance is below the standard, then the employer has to call the employee and find out what's going on and encourage that employee to come and meet the standard. Okay? All right? It is possible to have a successful business with a godly boss to suffer when employers ignore the bad employees in their midst. Let me say that again. It is possible for a good business with a godly boss to suffer when employers don't deal with bad employees. In other words, when the employer fails to deal with the bad apples in the bunch, it'll cause all the other apples to eventually go bad. In other words, when the boss fails to discipline with love those other workers who are not doing their part who are disregarding the rules and the regulation all the other employees will be affected okay it creates disharmony and it lowers the morale all right it leads to what i call the staff blues all right they would do their job, but they would dislike the environment. The environment becomes toxic when you don't deal with the bad apples in the bunch. Now, where, where do we see this in today's culture? Where do we see this in today's society? Unfortunately, the protests that are going on out in the streets against systemic racism and police brutality hits this as far as the heart of the matter is concerned. You have a lot of people that is a various strata of ethnicity that are protesting against police brutality. Now, the interesting thing about police brutality is that the majority of police officers are good people. I can say that without hesitation or contradiction. The majority of police officers are good people who do the right thing. However, all it takes is a couple of bad apples. And we've seen more than a couple. And all of them get brushed with a broad stroke. That is what's happening as far as the protests are concerned. And I would dare say that unfortunately, the morale of a lot of police departments across this country has gone down. However, 
There are people who want to spin it and say it's because of the protest. But I would dare say their morale has gone down because, unfortunately, those few bad apples has caused them to look bad. That's where we are as far as this age, this day, and this culture are concerned. All right? However, that could take place in any working environment. Let me close with this. And you masters and you employers and you supervisors do the same thing, give up on threatening knowing that your own master, your own employer, your own supervisor also in heaven and there's no partiality with him. All right. So watch this. When the supervisor, when the employer realizes that the business is blessed because there are God-fearing, God-revering workers on board, God will share God's bounty. God rewards us believers for our faithfulness. And employers should do the same. When a business is thriving, as a result of having hard-working employees, promotion, and pay raises, and bonuses should be considered. Right? Let me say it again. When business is thriving and people are working hard, uh, they should be promoted. Somebody to say hallelujah. They should get pay raises. Somebody said thank you, Jesus. They should get bonuses. Somebody said glory to God. All right. Because it shows appreciation for those that are working hard. And interestingly, uh, I try to do that here at St. Paul Church as far as ensuring that our employees, those that work here, are paid a decent wage uh, because they could be making a whole lot more as far as corporate America is concerned. God knows I don't pay them what they're worth and, and I wish that we had the finances to do that. And so there are other things that I do as far as giving them consideration uh, to show my appreciation for what they bring to the table and to let them know that God appreciates them. I close with this. Paul concludes this passage, this section of scripture, this pericope by commenting and reminding us that God is not a respecter of persons. There is no partiality with God. Both the worker and the supervisor must remember that God is in heaven and that God has no favorites and show no favoritism. The old folks say God sits high, he looks low, he rules and super rules both heaven and earth. God is watching both the supervisor and the worker, and God holds all of us accountable. So as I wrap up this conversation, as I wrap up this Bible study, again, 
Paul's original intent of writing this particular text is dealing with the fact of slavery that was going on at that time. Um, and it was bad. Wasn't as bad as slavery that our ancestors here in America faced, but it was bad enough. And yet Paul writes to inform those who were enslaved to do the best job possible. Translating that into today's culture and time, we no longer talk about slavery because it has been abolished in many parts of the world. Thank God for that. But what we do is we reinterpret the text to look at employer-employee relationships and how to appropriate this text for that meaning. So we build what is called a hermeneutical and a theological bridge from first century, from the first century church to the 21st century that makes this particular passage of scripture applicable for our time. I hope and pray that this has been somewhat insightful as far as our time of sharing is concerned. And I hope and pray that you have been blessed by this time of study. And I hope and pray that I have given you another way of dealing with scripture and making it applicable for our current reality. God bless. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, we have had a study as far as your word is concerned. Very controversial passage of scripture. And yet, God, we realize that everything in the Bible we will not like. I pray that those who are listening to this Bible study will be able to make that bridge from what Paul wrote in the first century to how we now live in the 21st century. God, I thank you that you sent liberators, particularly one of the first that we know of by the name of Moses. Then to those of us who are descendants of Africans here in America, um, that you sent those liberators like Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman and Denmark Bessie and Nat Turner and even white abolitionists like John Brown. God, we thank you that we are physically free, but yet we're still bound by the systemic and institutional racism that permeates the various systems of this country and even this world. Help us to be free of those structures so we can become all that you desire for us to be. Now, God, as we are being dismissed from this 
lesson, but never from your presence. Keep us in your care. And then God, in your own imitable way, bring us back together virtually where we can worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all for joining us. If you feel led to be a blessing as far as our ministry is concerned during this time of study, I wanna encourage you to uh, give. You can send your offering to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28205, if you're sending a check. If you wanna give online, you can give online as far as our website is concerned, or you can give through the app called Givelify. Just go under Bible study and give your offering as far as that's concerned. For my sisters and brothers who have lost your job, we're not expecting you to give. We want to be a blessing to you. We want the strong to bear the infirmity of the weak. But for those of us whom the Lord has allowed for us to still have work, I'm asking uh, that you will be a blessing as far as our work is concerned. Work here at St. Paul has been very tremendous during this pandemic. We've been feeding the hungry. We've been helping people as far as with medicine and rent and other things where they're falling short. We have been a blessing to our community and hopefully real soon, we will be back in the lineup for COVID-19 testing here at the church. So we have really been doing the work that God has called us to do. Well, I love you. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you. Take care and check us out on Sunday morning as far as our Sunday morning live services are concerned. And then join us at 1030 for worship. God bless you. Somebody else. Uh.